When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche podcast. Getting we used got, to that new intro. Yeah, new intro. Like, <laughs> hey, look, I wish there were more Evs pictures in it, but it's still super cool. Like, that's all. When the Avs win their next Stanley Cup, we can put three more pictures in. It'll be fun. Uh, Rudo, Megan, AJ losing his mind in Canada. Uh, talking middle six today. And this is one where we want to kind of get into some more of the numbers. Start talking about contract value. And look, we talk a lot about how one of the scariest places that you can give contracts is that three to five million dollar range. A lot of the time, those are contracts that players don't live up to, but sometimes those are contracts that end up being great value. So we're going to get through a lot of that. We're going to go through all of the Central Division as well as Tampa and Vegas, I believe. Take a look at the middle sixes out there uh, in the league. And I don't, I don't know. The conversation about value will kind of happen. So I, where do you two want to start? Should we start with the abs or should we start as far away from the abs as possible? I, I'm I'm kind of curious before we actually start getting into the numbers. I know we've all looked at what what uh, what got prepared. Thank you, Rudo, um, for for the for the show today. But I'm curious, just in terms of perception, before we get into all the money stuff, how do we like? Where do we think Colorado's middle six would rank? Like, where would we put it in contrast with the teams that we're going to talk about today, which is mostly Central Division, and then a couple of others outside of that that you cherry-picked for, I think, obvious reasons. I think in also having glanced at some of the others, it makes it difficult for me to give the most honest answer. But the whole point of this pod topic was because I believed the Avs have more value in their middle six than maybe was fully realized by the fan base because I think there were a lot of mixed reactions to Ross Colton and Miles Wood, Ryan Johansson. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, I just wanted to see how it stacks up around the league because I believed it would be a B-grade middle six. And I think in a little bit of what I know, I think it's still going to be in the B range, but we could be looking at more like a B minus and there are going to be some middle sixes in the Avs' biggest competition that are more A-grade. And there's an appropriate then conversation about where the Avs make up for that with the rest of the lineup. So without getting ahead of myself too much, I'm putting them kind of in the mid-range, high mid-range though, with a B grade. Okay. That's, I I think I I certainly come uh, down on that same general area. Um, I would also like to say that um, just we'll get ahead of any of the potential arguments for this, but 
yes, you could put an Arturi Lekkonen or a Miko Rantanen onto a second line. Yeah. Um, but you, I, I certainly don't think any of the three of us would consider anybody, any of Arturi Lekkonen, Nathan McKinnon, or Miko Rantanen at this point a middle six guy. Correct. I think they have proven themselves. To, two, two of those guys are the top top ten forwards in the NHL, and Arturi Lekkonen showed that while his production may not be top line, all the things that he brings to that top line makes him very valuable uh, up there. And so, and you can only have three guys there, so uh, that's why that's why those guys aren't really going to be counted in uh, in what we're talking about today. So certainly any any alignment that they choose could have one of those guys on a second or a third line. But that's the it's important to note that decisions had to get made in order to actually be able to do this exercise. So there could be a couple of guys that actually are light, like 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 light first line type players that end up not being counted in this because you've got to decide like your top line guys. You just have to pick at some point. Yeah, and uh, I mean, let's face it, mechanically, every team will see their top six certainly rotate around to some extent. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not putting a guy who scored 105 points last year as a second-line <laughs> player for mechanical yeah, totally. reasons. It's just not happening. So yeah, you guys absolutely. will probably disagree with some of the lists that we made. Uh, I, I will say for Colorado, I do think it's a little bit hard to grade them right now because – what are they actually going to get out of Jonathan Druin? Is he, does he play on the top line with McKinnon or is he playing on a second line as a, as a distributor there? Can Ross Colton take a jump in production that we haven't seen from him yet? There are enough question marks there for Colorado where any grade is, we'll wait and see what actually happens still, no matter what. So I do think it is a little bit hard to place Colorado given how much turnover they've had in their middle six. I'm Half only smiling a bit because of where we would have been with this conversation close to the start of last year, where the middle six would have included Galchenyuk and Newhook mm-hmm. and Evan Rodriguez. And so I feel like having more clarity about the Avs middle six now, even though there are some holes, especially on that third line, is a better position to be in than I perhaps gave it credit for. Maybe. I hope so. Uh all right, should we start? Should we do the one Eastern team first in Tampa Bay? Yeah, I well, and I think I think this is a really good place to start with the Lightning because it shows this is why it's really really hard to yeah. to stay at the top of the league. Yeah, you have to continually find value in positions like this, and obviously Tampa has been doing this for as long as anyone kind of trying to run back and fit pieces in and and do all of those things. And you kind of see a a list that's all over the place. The, the bell finally told and them having to pay Anthony Sorelli on one hand, but on the other, they have one more year of Brandon Hagel at 1.5 million, who was a 60 point guy last year. Uh, I also don't know who that last guy is supposed to be, but it's Mikey Asamont. All right, there you go. Uh, perfect. Uh, either way. Pretty sure Colorado Thunderbird, Mikey. Yeah, oh, God, here I'm we go. I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. How much money? Did you guys Colorado know he was born in Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, when you look at a team like Tampa, 
where is their middle six at now? There was a time a couple years ago where I think their middle six was what everyone was chasing, what everyone wanted their middle six to be. Is it still in that realm or has it fallen off a little bit? Well, certainly in Brandon Hagel, they have one of the best value contracts in the NHL. You're paying 1.5 million for 64 points. That's what? What? Like, it's great value. They're not going to be able to keep him beyond this season. It's great value. Um, and totally worth the couple first round picks that they ended up trading for him. It ended up being a great move for them. Um, you know, the the rest of that, Anthony Sorelli battled injuries, but has a lot of proving to do on the offensive end, but he is certainly one of the best defensive centers in the NHL. And uh, I think when you go and you look at that list, I think what makes what has to make Tampa Bay a little bit nervous is there isn't a lot of like what you're talking about with Colorado, where this guy, this guy's career has been derailed by injury. This guy's got this problem or that problem. You know, this there there are like pock marks all over there where you're saying, look, if they just stayed healthy, it's a pretty good lineup. Now, obviously, health is a factor, you know, but with Tampa Bay, that group is has not been particularly beat up. Yeah, And you look at the production, there's not a lot of guys that are playing in roles they haven't played in. There's not a lot of, well, we're hoping that this guy takes a step forward given more ice time. There's a whole lot of, this is just who this guy is. And I think that that has to be the concern with that with that Tampa Bay group there, that their, their top line, uh, you know, when you have, when you have <laughs> Kucherov, Point, and Stamkos, it's pretty unimpeachable. That's, that's the goods. But immediately after, you do start to look at it and say, where are they going to get a lot of the offense from? Tiff, would you be able to show Tampa's again? Interesting. It's something that I think Tampa has done well to remain competitive season by season, and that is find value in their middle six and their depth, generally speaking. But like AJ mentions, the production is where perhaps there's a little bit of lack. And in seeing that this is something they've invested in to include Tanner Janot, a player that they took a really big swing on just to bolster their middle six specifically, I think that they are trying to stay competitive in a tough cap era. And it's a challenge that teams like Colorado are also facing and why they're trying to find value wherever they can. But it does become difficult to see Hagel's 60 points there because it's doing a lot of the heavy lifting, at least offensively. On the other side of the puck, this is a really tough to play against middle six. And I think that will continue to be true, especially just given the overall age of these players being on the younger side. I think the Lightning are still in a really great spot because of that. But they're, they're straddling some of the same problems that Colorado is. Like We're going to look at Colorado's and also wonder where some production is going to be coming from beyond the first line. The the part that I think is interesting about Tampa is their total cap investment there, which is a little over 16 million, is going to be one of the lower ones that we look at in this video. It it really is on the low side as a whole, and it makes sense. Obviously, they have their top line, which they're invested in heavily, but they're also heavily invested in their defense with Sergachev and Hedman uh, at the top of that, and then Vasilevsky on the back end. Every team has to choose where to spend their money a little bit, and Tampa is not spending a lot of it in their middle six, but are still finding ways to be productive enough. How long can they continue doing that? Like you mentioned, they need Tanner Juneau to take some kind of step forward to find a little bit of production there. 
I don't know. I think maybe they finally got one wrong with Janot. And it's things like that show how quickly the house of cards can come down for a middle six is you know, obviously last year the Avs had so many injuries. Their middle six was AHLers. But even if you lose one key guy in your middle six, all of a sudden the whole thing looks hugely different. If Brandon Hagel's not in Tampa's middle six, there's very little production to talk about there. Yeah. I mean, you're, can we just bring that up one more time real quick? Because <laughs> you're you're talking Brandon Hagel is a third of the points. Yep. Comes from you we're talking about six players here. One third of them came from one guy. Connor Sheary did not do this in Tampa Bay. Yep. Um and that's kind of who like that scoring range is right around where he's been most of his career. That was a career year for Nick Paul. It was a yep. down year for Tanner Janot, and then Miles Brandon Hagel is actually Mikey Asimont, and that was that's the first season that Mikey Asimont has been in the NHL, um, like for for any meaningful length of time at all. Yep. So you know it's and then Anthony Sorelli's twenty nine points. Anthony Sorelli missed most of the season. Um, I, I guess not most, but he missed a lot of it. He missed like half. But twenty, yeah. yeah. And you're 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 talking about there was one guy here in Brandon Hagel who in his career has scored more than 44 points. Yep. And when we talk about we talk about production from this this group, it's important that we get a barometer of what expectations are because we talk about 40 point players as like low end second line guys here and higher end third line guys. Mm-hmm. We're not even having this converse, that conversation with this group right now. It's it's Anthony Sorelli and Brandon Hagel if they if they all stay healthy, those two guys should definitely hit forty points. Um, Tanner Janot's one good year in Nashville was driven by an insane shooting percentage, and uh, as soon as he came down to earth, he was a completely ineffective NHL player. Uh, and and again, so where's the upside here? Where's the cost efficiency? You know, uh, assuming Anthony Sorelli is healthy, his two way play should make him cost efficient enough at six million dollars. But would you rather get 45 points and elite defense at your 2C spot for $6 million for the for that money, for the, the Sorelli money? Or would you rather pay pretty much the same thing for Val Nachushkin, who's also going to give you elite defense, albeit from a wing spot, and potentially score 65 points for you? And obviously Tampa Bay... They made the decision. They they couldn't afford Ross Colton, so they just they, because they wanted to keep Sorelli. They said that we we think he's going to be the guy. We think that he's going to have the big jump in production, even if he does. And Hagel repeats those sixty points. The rest of that is very low end in terms of scoring, and they aren't like Colorado. Looking at a bunch of guys where you're saying we could have bounce backs here. There's a lot of this is just who they are. Yeah, agreed. It it will be interesting to see how it plays out, but we can uh, move to the West now. I, I suppose we should bring up Vegas at first, just to take a look at the cup champs from last season. Uh, they, they aren't spending a ton either, but theirs is a little bit more interesting. And, and I think you will run into this a lot as we go through this video. ELCs continue to be king of value in the NHL. Pavel Dorofeyev at 800K, that nine points is in like 23. It might even be like 17 games. It, 
the production value there is where Vegas is trying to find a lot of their middle six value, essentially. Obviously, they've been getting great stuff from Chandler Stevenson for a long time. And then you start talking about guys that maybe are more closely getting paid what they're worth or perhaps even overpaid and guys, Barbashev and, and Carlson. And then you kind of end up on the fringes with these other guys. My question is, when you look at Vegas's middle six, this is a team that very popular was touted as playing four lines, super tough against you as they their run to the cup final last season. Will they continue to be that? Are they going to continue to be wave after wave of guys? Or do we think this middle six will take a step back? I think Vegas is, is going to be a really good example of the strength of their roster um, because it's cost efficient. Obviously, a guy like Chandler Stevenson, like Brandon Hagel, a very, very good value deal there for that team, which they desperately need. Um, but you, I mean, not even on that list is a guy like Nicholas Waugh, yep. who has, who was very good last year, uh, in, they also have a guy like Will Carrier that's out playing his contract on their fourth line as well. And that's for Vegas. It's, it's really one through 12, uh, that they do sure. a really good job one through 12. Um, and, and I think especially four through 12, because if you look at the highest paid guys on that, uh, with, with March or so. Uh, Stone and Eichel, they're getting what they paid for. You know, they're pretty comfortable with those guys as leading guys for them. But the the rest of those guys, that Vegas group is just really solid. They do a they they've got a diversity of skill sets. They're good defensively. Um, all they they've you know with Barbashev, Carlson, and Stevenson, you're talking about guys that have produced uh, really good seasons uh, on multiple occasions. They're not one hit wonders. Those guys are pretty proven at this point. Uh, Michael Amadio is a guy they claimed off waivers and got a 27-point season out out of. Uh, Dorofeyev is uh, one of their, you know, was a was a uh, a good prospect in a high enough-ish draft pick a handful of years ago. Brett Howden looks like he's he might have turned a corner a little bit. I know 13 points isn't uh, like a thing that you get super excited about, but he was a really effective player for them last season. So that's a I just think that that's just a really, really solid, good two-way group um, that that has a little bit of everything in it. I think the points distribution is spread more equally throughout compared to like a Tampa. And this is something that Vegas has done well, is managing the needs of the team and balancing that. And I think it's something that keeps them competitive right now. They'll have some decisions to make with Stevenson and Marcheseau next year, those being contracts that they can either extend, and that is going to come with an expense, especially with Stevenson, who they're getting great value from right now. Marcheseau, of course, will be expensive. But this is where the conversation, too, about, like, would you prefer to have McKinnon, Rantanen, and whoever you want to put beside them alongside Vegas's top line and you might probably favor Colorado in that conversation but when you look at the whole of the picture this is where I think Vegas has done something very well and that is create balance and competitive lines one through four that I think they're at least through this next season especially going to do and because they've demonstrated an aptitude in constructing their roster in this way I don't doubt that this is the aim for them moving forward is to find value wherever they can and 
they'll probably continue to do it, even if it means making tough decisions. And you both have brought it up, AJ with Tampa Bay and Hagel, you here in Vegas with Stevenson. By design, it is impossible to keep together a cost-effective middle six because if you play well in the middle six on a cheap contract, that means when that contract runs out, you get paid. You become a top six caliber payment player. And that value, while it may still be worth the contract, you're not going to get the same tier as getting 60 points for a million dollars or 55 points or whatever Stevenson had for two and a half million dollars. So every single one of those players that is exceeding expectations is going to graduate out of that value middle six role. And it's how you keep your organization going and finding replacements for those guys and continuing to be effective in that area by finding someone else. Like finding last year's Barbashev before he got paid. I think looking for players that are looking to take a step forward but haven't quite done so yet. And being able to spot those types of players is something Colorado is literally looking to do right now in a Ross Colton. Yep. I also think that where Vegas is a little better set up than certainly Tampa Bay is that if Michael Amadio doesn't have a good year, uh, Brett Howden, you know, doesn't have a very good year. There are guys that they trust. You know, there is, there is a Nicholas Waugh hanging around in that lineup. There is a Will Carrier. There is, uh, you know, Paul Cotter had a, had like a, a decent impact last year. Um, They're, you know, call a good Colorado villain here in Keegan Colasar. Those are all those are all guys that like if one of those guys uh, falters in that Vegas lineup, there's another guy hanging around that can do that job that that they have proven themselves in Vegas already. That was not true for Tampa Bay. It's definitely not true for Colorado. Yeah, agree 100 percent there when it comes to Vegas, though, if you want to go see their value in action. Make sure you do it with Circa Resort and Casino. You can get out to Vegas, stay with Circa. They have the world's largest sports book, ridiculous 78 million pixel screen, so you can really watch it on the big screen. Uh, their casino has over 7,000 square feet with two levels, so there's uh, a whole lot of table games and all sorts of ridiculousness going on in the casino. The resort itself has over 500 rooms. Of course, they have Stadium Swim. You can hang out by the pool and watch the action of whatever sport it is you want to catch. The whole place is super duper dope. So if you're heading out to Vegas, be sure to check out uh, Circa. Plus, you know, yeah. You point to yourself? Yeah. On September 15th. the uh, Collectively. Kind of going to a rookie tournament thing. So Oh, we better. You know. I mean, I'll look, be there look, no it, matter what for tickets at for 40 bucks Same. is the round trip flight. I mean, exactly. I'll just fly myself no, out exactly. there at that point. Like guys, Let's guys, we're pact. going, we aren't, there's no, there's no conversation. We are going to Vegas for this. I'll go with you guys. We are go. going to be there. <laughs> whatever, whatever, uh, you know, whatever, whatever happened, we are going to be there. So come say hi to us. Cause we're going to be in Vegas in a couple weeks. I guess it's about a month. <laughs> the today. best part is when you stay with Circa and you use the correct code that I definitely have and know off the top of my head and I'm not having to look up right now. Oh, it's just code DNVR. I should have known. When you use code DNVR when you're reserving a room, you get 20% off your stay. Vegas is already ridiculously cheap. You throw on another 20% and 
you're bordering on going to Vegas for free at that point. I'm just saying. It's worth the money. Is, Go. Is this is this girl math? Is definitely definitely some questionable math. Might be some Vegas math. Uh, Vegas math. <laughs> Uh, but still a great place to go stay. Use the DNVR code to get that 20% off. Uh, whether it's for the rookie tournament coming up or you're seeing abs versus Knights, you know, maybe you're going out there for a Broncos Raiders game, whatever it might be. Circa sports is the place to stay. Uh, all right. What's oh yeah, right, right. Also brought to you by illegal Pete. Sorry. I was just ready to move on. Uh, I need some illegal Pete's. I'm running on fumes here. I did not eat breakfast today, oh, so no. maybe I'll swing by after the show. Uh, fantastic burritos with all sorts of delicious, fresh ingredients. Their queso, mwah, absolutely amazing. And they do happy hour from 3 to 8 p.m., so it's the longest happy hour in town. I'll tell you what, it's sunny out this week. Uh, it's nice and toasty as well, so a great time to go enjoy the patio at Illegal Pete's if you haven't been out there. 11 different locations here in Colorado to check out. So there's one near you somewhere, including one just a couple blocks from the DNBR bar. Actually, it might be a good place to go to lunch before you come visit us on Friday for our live show. Uh, 6 p.m. here at the DNBR bar. Megan and I will be talking hockey. You can watch and listen to the show live in the bar, and then I'll be hanging out. We can uh, vibe and talk hockey with, the, with all y'all that are here uh, after the show. So it should be a fun time on Friday. Come down, say hello to us, and enjoy your illegal peats before you do that. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast. Did we want anything more to say about Vegas, or are we good? Good, good. All right. The, the less we have to talk about Vegas. The <laughs> Let's move into the Central Division. Let's start at the bottom with Chicago, because this one's going to be a little bit weird and not super representative. One, because they're only spending $12 million. They're throwing a bunch of kids and random guys at their middle six and this conveniently calls Corey perry uh, a fourth line player uh and nick felino yeah felino as well a fourth line player so you know the money's a little bit misleading and the reality for expectations out of this middle six is not a lot I think they'd probably like to make way for Reichel and Radish to be as successful as possible. And the rest of these guys are kind of just dudes. But I, yeah. maybe I'm wrong. You're you're talking about the top three guys on that list. Blackwell, Dickinson, and Donato would all be fourth liners on a good team. Yeah. And have been fourth liners on a good team in their careers. Like, that's... <laughs> what Vegas or what Vegas, what Chicago is paying for as well as giving $8 million for a piece to Felino and Corey Perry. Yep. Like not, not on that list. Andreas, uh, a you and, uh, Phil Kurashev. You can mm -hmm. also throw in there. Those guys are, those guys are somewhere in that mix as well. And it's like, okay, great. We added all these guys to that, to potentially to that list. I think, I think the fact that you can name all those guys uh, as potential middle six guys goes to, goes to show you this is a mess. Yeah. Well, to reinforce that problem for the purposes of doing this list and the DCU is a top line player in Chicago. Yeah. I don't know if he still is with, uh, with Taylor Hall and Connor Bedard both showing up, and I, sure, I but money um, mechanically, imagine 
that they will try to get one of the other kids up there with those guys, but uh, especially it, Reichel. But yeah, my, my assumption paid. is Reichel will end up there, but money wise, he is the guy getting paid and expected to produce. Yeah, and Tyler Johnson, for the record, is making five million dollars. Uh, yeah. So <sighs> you're they are spending five million on Tyler Johnson, four million on Corey Perry, and four million on Nick Foligno. Those guys will all factor into their forward group. They're all bad now, and uh, that's a lot of money that they – I mean, team trying to get to the cap floor, right? Like, yep. who cares? And then those other guys that I mentioned that would be you know, Blackwell, Donato, uh, and Dickinson, those are all guys that they should be trying to find homes for mm-hmm. come deadline, especially Blackwell and Dickinson who are on expiring deals. It's not pretty. <laughs> what? Yeah, they're, is... they're, they're terrible. What is the points output that you could be hopeful for? And maybe instead of breaking it into the entire middle six, second line by third line, like what would be the ideal points production for the second line and then the third line? So your second line, realistically, I think if you have a good second line, you should be probably looking for around 150 points out of you really want a 60 point guy, at least one on your second line, probably your center in most cases. Uh, Abs are a little bit different as that's kind of Nachushkin's role. Not going to get into that because that's a really complicated conversation, but a 60 point guy and two 40 point guys gets you to 140 points on your second line. I think that's a pretty reasonable ask for a good hockey team to have as a second line. Uh, The third line, it gets a little bit more complicated if you have a more defense-oriented shutdown third line, maybe you're okay with a line that gives you 90 to 100 points. If you have a third line that wants to produce, wants to provide more offense, you're probably looking at something closer to 120. But yeah, it, it just kind of depends on how that line is structured more than with a second line. I think, I think it's a good... Uh, because... You know, in the same way that Moneyball made famous the idea of you're not trying to buy players, you're trying to buy runs. Yeah. Hockey teams are trying to buy goals. They're trying to buy production. Uh, and on when when you have a high-scoring defense like Colorado's, maybe your third line can be more like an 80-point third line. Yep. Um, but I would say to answer Megan's question, I, w- I would I would I would come pretty close to agreeing with those baselines of expectation. I think 150 points for your second line is really fair. That's 50 points per player. You might get a little higher, a little lower, depending on variance and skill level. But that's a fair that's a fair ask uh, for a second for like a solid second line. It's not an amazing second line, but it's a solid one. It's it's one that, especially when you have Colorado's high end talent, you're very comfortable with. And for the third line, I would probably say about 105, 35 points each. Yeah, you know, a little maybe a little more, and you have a guy that could maybe be on a second line a little less and maybe that guy's getting overplayed a little bit so i would i would say 35 each should be the goal and then you know a first line is like however many you can get big dogs and a fourth (laughs) line is please just don't have that number be under 50 yeah if you get 20 points a guy out of your fourth line that's 60 points and you you can live with that Mm mm-hmm I'm, I'm doing some mental math here. No, I. It's just because this is a really difficult expectation for any team to live up to. Genuinely, yeah, for sure. It's not yeah. an unfair 
expectation. But even looking at other teams who are the Avs' biggest competition, I don't know that anyone is constructed to to quite live up to that. So I'm just going. I think there are one or two teams on here that last year had over 250 points from their middle six. But there are not a ton. Interesting. Yeah, just like even looking at JT Confer's career high year yeah. with second line opportunity, he barely makes that cutoff. And that's and, why he's not a second liner. <laughs> well, and that it's a it's an honest conversation then to have. Just it's not even the position that solely the Colorado Avalanche are in, but No, not at all. <laughs> it's it's where Nuchushkin has hovered in playing some of his best hockey. Yep. It's it's really interesting though, because I don't think we would ever doubt that Valnachushkin is a second line player now. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's just an interesting thing to keep in the back of the mind that there's a lot of fluctuation in what different parts of the lineup should be living up to compared to what other things they bring to the table and where they're making up for some of that loss of production, like with Colorado specifically, a lot of it coming from their defensemen. Yep. There is always a lot of context there, of course. Someone might be yeah. on a 60-point pace, but they get injured. <laughs> and, and you know, the reason Chicago made me think of this is that was a lot of players that I think could easily have 30-point seasons next year. Yeah. All of them. And I was like, that seems a little weird, though, because mm. I'm looking at Colorado's third line, and I'm not sure all of them are 30-point guys, though I'd like for them to be. And this is in years past, like the last couple yeah, seasons. Sure. That I don't know that I'd look at Colorado's third line and say, oh, yeah, they're each 30-point guys easily. So that's just what made me think of it with Chicago specifically is they're getting kind of consistent production, but it is third, fourth line caliber right. production, but their second yeah. line is also included in that mix. When you have nine third liners, it becomes a problem. Exactly. Yeah. There we are. Well, in the it, it becomes kind of a feedback loop as well because it's not just that those guys, you know, the, the, the Dickinson, Donato, Blackwell, it's not just that those guys are like, yeah, they're fine NHLers or whatever. They could they could give you twenty five to thirty points, but can they do it together? How much sure. of their how much of their production has has been helped out because Someone's they got to play next bus. to somebody. Yeah. You know, that they were they were the fourth line guy who got moved up to a, a good third line or a second line for a little while and that goosed that production a little bit. We all know what happened with JT Comfer last year. Without Miko Ranton, and he doesn't have the season that he does. Um, there's a reason that it's a massive outlier in his career. Uh, and it was because his opportunity was different. It's it's one reason why I think people need to be really careful about trying to assess what's about to happen with one of the teams we're going to talk about here in Arizona, where some of those guys are going to get opportunity in the lineup that they would not get on a better team. And you look at some of the numbers and say, whoa, 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 okay. It's one thing when a guy when a guy produces big numbers when he's playing 18 minutes a night and he's averaged 14 in his entire career. You know, and then oh, he has a he has a career season because he played four extra minutes every single night. Like, there's some added context there, but in in the Chicago conversation, these guys at the bottom of it are at the bottom of good NHL rosters. Can they do it together? Can their will their skill sets be able to mesh? Because you're talking about at that point really limited NHL players. You know, Ryan Donato has always been a good goal scorer for a for a depth guy, but he doesn't do much else. So can can Blackwell and Dickinson help him sure with some of those bit, other yeah. aspects of the game? You know, the 
not even just those guys, obviously, you know, you throw in Kershev and Johnson and Felino and Perry and, oh my God, is that lineup bad? <laughs> it's uh, fine to have a couple of those guys, but that to be, you know, three fourths of your lineup is, it's a horror show. I, I think it's pretty clear. Chicago is not really trying to be good with these, this part of their lineup. And that's just where they are as an organization. Yes, Bedard yeah. has sped up this process for them, but they're really still a year away from starting to build a lineup that they are fully happy with. Now, Reichel, Radish, there are pieces in there that they want to see succeed this year. But when you compare that to Arizona, as AJ mentioned, and we can bring up their list, uh, Arizona is starting to transition into a team that's trying to build a forward core that is solid top to bottom. And you end up in this place where they're spending significantly more money on their middle six than Chicago, but they still have the potential to find value in someone like a Logan Cooley, who they did get signed to Dylan Genther as a, a did he play enough games? To, he still qualifies for the Calder, right? I think so. Um, and then these other pieces in Alex Kerfoot and Jason Zucker and some guys that have been around the league that. It, certainly in Kerfoot's case, you're trying to find some value there. In Zucker's case, you're somewhere in between where you don't know if he'll necessarily live up to that contract, but that's a guy you can also flip. How, where are you at with, with Coyotes? Have they done a successful job of, of building the team they want to be this year, AJ? Uh, I, this list makes me laugh because it's, you could, you're going to have to replace one of them because they don't have a second center on here. Yeah, um, sure. I mean, like, like Nick Bukestad, you can probably drop in there, and we'll replace one of these guys, right? Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't materially change the conversation. This is, this is looking at this group. You're like, this is a group with a lot of upside. Michelli, Cooley, Genther uh, are guys that you all expect to continue to get better as the season goes on, and will be good players in the future. Uh, Kerfoot, Kraus, and Zucker are proven NHL players. They're fine. They're solid. Um, you know, Kerfoot never really quite recaptured that rookie season magic he had in Colorado. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, when you shoot 19% or whatever it was, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to do a lot, but I like, I like this group. I think this is a competitive group and it's a group that, for the team that they are, we've talked about it before. Jason Zucker probably is a deadline guy. The rest of these guys, though, are will will be there for at least two years. And uh, you know, with with Cooley, Kraus, Michelli, and Genther, those are building blocks. Those are guys that they would like to have be in the the roles that they're going to be in for the foreseeable future, with the exception of Cooley, who they hope becomes a one C and gets replaced by Barrett Hayton in that lineup. Yep. So going into it, I think I think they have one of the lower scoring groups for right now, but man, that's that's a group that I, I'm thinking um, look out for. Also, I strongly doubt this happens uh, with, yeah. with Schmaltz being the no. center. Schmaltz, Schmaltz has been a wing for the majority of his time. Play center. Yeah, Schmaltz yeah. has been a center or a wing for the majority of his time in Arizona, and he and Keller have made magic together. You, you, it, it's like breaking up Lekin and McKinnon. Just don't do it. If if Cooley's good enough to play on the top line, they'll just swap him and Hayton. I don't think that conversation's that complicated. I yeah, am curious, absolutely. though. Uh, Megan, obviously, AJ and I are big prospect guys. You follow the Eagles a lot. 
regularly in our circles, we hear people call for the youth movement, for getting all these young kids in there, as Arizona is kind of doing. Is it too much? At what point are too many young kids in the lineup a problem? Or do you think this is good? Do you think all of these kids will have a chance to succeed in Arizona? Well, it's a good mix of young and old. I think that not to call Kerfoot old necessarily, He's but I'm grouping young. Kerfoot with the Zucker yeah. types of players. And I, I think that they have a good blend then of that type of player alongside a young, but not completely young kind of player in Keller. Sure. And then someone like McBain who has now some pro experience under yep. his belt and is building towards more. They have a lot of young depth on wing that makes it a really promising forward group, even if Logan Cooley has some struggles in his first pro year. Yep. Even if that's to happen, there is still young experience that is a Michelli too now going back for his second year pro that I don't think is going about this in the wrong way. They're not being thrusted with too much responsibility without viable backup options to help take that place if Cooley does need to play maybe more limited minutes at certain points or work on a couple of the intangibles. I think it's really well constructed. It's a, a promising looking group. It, I think it, I think Megan's point that it's a healthy mix is a really, really good one. Because when you look at the average age of that forward core, it's about 25 years old. Compare that to Chicago's two rebuilding teams. Even with 18-year-old baby boy Connor Connor Bedard in there. It is 27 years old at the yeah. average age of their forward group. Yeah. Where they have skewed much older and and to be honest much more ineffective. And when you look at what Arizona has, I I love I love Megan's point here of it is a great mixture of a blend of youth and roles as well as the veteran experience. But you're, they've avoided the trap of getting washed guys just for the sake of having the veteran presence. And he gets to teach me how to be a pro. Like, they've got they've got guys that can do that in Bukestad, but who are also good players still, who also have jobs that they can fill. And um, I like I like Jack McMahon, so I'm glad that you brought him up because I tend to forget that he exists. <laughs> I the one other question I have, if you can bring back up the the Arizona lineup, do they have enough play drivers in this middle six? Now, obviously, a, a decent amount of that is going to be shouldered by how much can Logan Cooley do it in the NHL in his first yep. year. But I look at some of these guys, Matias Michelli. Look, great hockey player, but he's gonna be more of a perimeter guy, gonna be more of a distributor. You have someone like Dylan Genther, who's does should project as a goal scorer in the NHL, but how much of that is actually on the puck play uh, compared to finding soft spots in the ice? I, I think Kraus has stepped into that role a little bit. You know what you're getting out of a Jason Zucker. I do worry a little bit about who the motor is, though, at times with this middle six. It's yeah, it's it's really they're going to live and die with Cooley, I think, in terms of driving play and not just being really opportunistic as they were last year. Uh, if if they're going to take a step forward and start to really balance out possession, it's got to be because Logan Cooley is the truth. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Well, this show's going to go long today, folks. Yeah, I was going to say, can we blast through a couple of these really quickly because there isn't a lot to say? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to blast through the middle ones? I just bring up one of the Central Division teams, like Nashville or somebody. <laughs> yeah. 
oh so forgettable. This yeah. group is awful. It's, like it's not good. They're uh, spending eight like million dollars. A lot of a lot of youth here, um, in trying to trying to get it better. You know, uh, uh, Novak, uh, yeah. Evangelista, Glass, and Tomasino are all guys that you can say, oh, these guys could get better. I guess Parson in too. I God, I don't know how much more Glass has in the tank because he's kind of already established at this point. But Novak and Tomasino for sure. Yeah. The rest of it is just kind of. It well, feels, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Odds and ends. Yeah, even, even if you throw Dennis Gurionov and Yakov Trenin somewhere into this mixture, it doesn't make it better. Yep. You talk, Megan, you talked about Chicago having nine third line players. Nashville, another great example of a not a ton of guys with the high end or higher ceiling, I guess I should say in that lineup well and it's tough knowing the state of things with nashville without going on too much of a tangent we've talked about some of our least favorite offseason moves and that meant shipping off some of what was on the top of their lineup yep and i get it they get ryan o'reilly in the return of all of this but it still feels like there's now quite a bit missing from their forward group on the whole and and certainly johansson and duchene were overpaid in in nashville at eight million dollars a piece but they just haven't replaced their production. No, because I feel like Ryan O'Reilly is a neutralizing yep. addition that helps to make up for some of that loss, but does not. Uh, what's the word? Like, it's not more than. Unless he's about to have a hundred point season, which I don't think is about to happen. Do you, so, do you think Phil Forsberg is pissed that he resigned there? Like, he of course, you know, every player will. Like, oh, I just want to play in one place for my whole career. He's very well established there. You know, it's. It's it's big fish, small pond kind of thing. But do you think he's like looking around like a year after he signed over the rest of his career? Like, what is this? This, this sucks, man. This is I thought there might be a transition period, but they're like, like, who's who's helping? Who's yeah. on the way? Like, yeah, Philip Tomasino was a guy that I absolutely loved in his draft year. And even then it was like, maybe he's a second line player if he maxes out. Where's the guy going to come from? Who's the guy that they are going to try to build around in that forward core? Because they have solid prospects, but their best prospect is a goaltender, which is their strongest position already. I just, everything Nashville related right now, its existence pisses me off because I can't figure out the vision. Uh, let's do Minnesota really quickly here as well. Uh so yeah. Minnesota, obviously, in a spot where they have a lot more cap restrictions than most teams, given their buyouts. Yeah. It, they have a bunch of dudes at the bottom of their 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 third line is just guys like I, I really don't know what to tell you. You have the Felinos, Duhames and Gaudreau's of the world. They're never going to wow you. They're going to go out there and do what they do. You have Hartman, who is far less interesting when he's not getting hard carried by Kaprizov. <laughs> And then you have, like, how long can Mojo keep doing this? And Zuccarello, who's a solid piece. Yeah, the thing with Zuccarello, though, um, and it's very applicable to the Dallas conversation that we'll have to have quickly, but Zuccarello's getting old, and you got to wonder when does the magic start to slip there, especially for a smaller guy. If the hands go even a little bit, his effectiveness goes with it. And you do look at it, well, Felino, Johansson, Zuccarello, uh, these are these are older guys. Mm-hmm. Like these are the, there's no 
Um, there's no real youth here. Um, and like brand, like Brandon Duhame, like 10 points here. Like the, this is, this is where they are begging to be saved by Marco Rossi. Yep. Because of, of your 10 point Brandon Duhame at 26 years old, you know, Ryan Hartman's even 28. So I, I think he's even going to be 29 by the start of the season. So you're talking, you're talking like there's, this is a fine lineup this is a fine lineup this is competitive this isn't going to win you playoff rounds um even though you have to like that scoring that they got out of it last year 219 points is is uh rock solid um production repeating it i think is is going to be a big ask i agree uh on that note we are brought to you by bacchus and shanker so if you've been run over by a middle six Call two 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 today. Uh, also, you know, if you've been in like a real injury situation, car accident, even if it was like a rideshare thing, or if you got hit by one of the scooters downtown, you got injured at work and it wasn't your fault. That's where Bacchus and Shanker comes in. You call the two number, go to coloradolaw.net today. They will give you a free consultation no matter what. If they think you have a case, they will take your case on and you will pay nothing until you win your case. So it costs you nothing to try and get what you deserve with these guys. Uh, go check them out if you haven't. Again, they're really, really good at what they do. They've been doing this forever in Colorado, and they've won over a billion dollars for their clients over the 25 years that they've been doing it. So they'll get you what you deserve at Bacchus and Shanker. Get your free consultation with the two number today. Uh, also brought to you by the folks over at Shady Rays. Get yours today with code DNBR when you purchase. And if you get two pairs of sunglasses or more, you get 50% off your entire order. They've got all sorts of amazing styles, something to make everybody look cool. And they've been rated five stars by over 250,000 people. So you know that they are a good product. And the best part is their 30-day guarantee whether you lose them, you break them, or you just don't like them, if it's in the first 30 days, send them back, and they will replace them at no cost to you. So go check them out. Shady Rays, pretty cool. And AJ doing some thinking over there. I'm just, I just saw the John Farinacci news. Ah, yeah, signed by Boston. Yeah, I want to know if at the end we could talk about Steinberg for a second. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we Nuggets are going in Studio B, so we're, we're chilling. We can do whatever we want. No parents. No yeah. rules. <laughs> <laughs> Some rules. You can't One make rule. me. You can't Yo, make this me. Is, this is my last pod till I'm back in Denver. So I'm actually like, yeah, let's go long. Let's okay. just keep talking hockey. I'm going to be jonesing to talk Avalanche yeah, this time next week. You're about to spend five days not talking oh, about this. No. <laughs> I know. Uh, okay. Who's next on the list? We got Winnipeg, I guess, would be our next victim dramatic this this is uh please cole perfetti help us please gabe velarde take the next step team right like yeah so this is a really big topic of conversation in winnipeg is is what does this alignment look like because you could easily have cole perfetti on that top line replacing blake wheeler playing next to shifley and kyle connor and Vlad Nemesnikov would slide in, slide into that spot. Yep. Um, does that move the needle for either one of you? Vlad Nemesnikov at this point in his career? No. It's kind, of, it's kind of my point. Um, this is like a, this is another group that I think is, is solid. 
uh, on an individual basis, you could look at guys like Ayafalo, Nita Ryder, and Velarde um, and say, these guys could really help a team like Colorado. Like they would, man, those would be really good complementary pieces. Is their high end still high enough for this to be what they need? I think is is my overriding question here. Because you look at the scoring here, outside of Mason Appleton, this is very balanced. Everybody between 30 and 41 points. And again, if you swap out Perfetti for Nemesnikov, that's even more true because Perfetti's about to have a 50-point year. Uh, and Nemesnikov's probably about to have a 30-point year. So... <laughs> The balance, the balance here, I think, is really good. The, the 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 styles is really good. I really like this group. It's just Mason Appleton, eh? Adam Lowry, eh? The rest of these guys, I I do really like, and and I think there's plenty of upside with a Gabe Velarde, um, and a and a, even an Iafalo and Nita Ryder. I mean, the I think the other win here is you have no landmines, right? None of these contracts you're looking at and going, boy, there's no way that guy's living up to that. A la Tyler Johnson in Chicago. Yeah, I think I follow at four million made a lot of sense when it got signed. And then when you look at it right now, it's probably um, like maybe 500 K over. Sure. More than it should be, but. Um, even then he had 36 points in, in like 60 games last year. So, um, I'm probably not even being fair there. So I think it's a, it, it is a fair point though, that, that the, the value here, there isn't like a, there isn't like a outside of Perfetti in his ELC, but again, he's going to be a top line guy, um, that there isn't a major, major obvious, like great value, but yep. there isn't anyone that you're looking at going, Oh my God. Well, and like we discussed with the Avs and Lekkonen, if Ehlers, health permitting, is someone that flexes between a second-line role and a top-line role, sure. he's boosting yeah. the value of the middle six yeah. with his presence there. Yeah. And I think that just improves, then, how the middle six stacks up because there's probably some of those players that are interchangeable, different parts of the lineup, which also make a fourth line better if any of those players have to slide down. Yeah. And that is why I think this is one of the best that we've looked at. Like, I even yeah. didn't think Minnesota was half bad. I'm giving them a B grade, too. Sure. But I would say Jets are in the maybe A minus category to B plus. A little more upside with the Jets middle six. Easy I would say. For, yeah. me to, for me to feel that way. At yeah. least. <laughs> Certainly, if you do, uh, if they do add in Ehlers, uh, honestly, if he's healthy and he's on the top line and that pushes Perfetti into that group. And you replace Appleton with Rasmus Kupari, the other guy that came over in the Kings deal. I think that that you can really bang on the upside drum there with a lot mm. of youth, but enough proven skill as well between um, Niederreiter, Domestikov, Lowry, those guys. Um, that it is a really healthy mix, and I think I agree with Megan. I think this is the best group that we've looked at so far. Just the most balanced. So, then the question is. Does Dallas keep up? Are they also a strong middle six? And this one is expensive, folks. They are paying their middle six a lot of dollars. To be fair, there's a lot of production there, too. Uh, I could have made them pay their middle six even more money. You could easily swap Joe Pavelski and Jamie Benn if you want to do that. I had to make decisions. Their production was similar, and Jamie Benn costs a whole lot more, so I threw him on the top line. Jamie, Jamie Ben had one more point than Joe Pavelski did last year. Yep. So um, 
you're really splitting a hair there. The big difference there is Jamie Benn makes $9.5 million, and Joe Pavelski is going to get paid 3 and a half this year. Yeah, so expectations are a little bit more necessary out of Ben to be a top-line yeah. caliber player. We'll leave it that way. But we haven't really seen a middle six on this list yet with this much high-end ability, even if it is an aging Joe Pavelski, even if it is an inconsistent Tyler Sagan and Matt Duchesne. Is this enough? Have they justified the amount of money they're paying, they're paying their middle six? It's interesting because this is a this is a middle six of extremes, uh, especially sure. if you swap Pavelski with Ben. Even at even at even if he scores seventy eight points again for Jamie Ben, he's cost inefficient at yep. nine and a half million dollars. Yep. So uh, you're not even you're not getting a value there. You're not getting any kind. You're not even close to getting value with Tyler Sagan. And to be honest yep. with you, the season that Mason Marchman had was a pretty big disappointment for them, given that they paid him four and a half million. Yep. Um, making the same exact money as Arturi Lekkanen, and Lekkanen had 20 more points for, for comparison. So uh, you're talking about bad value in in a lot of this, but then Matt Duchesne at $3 million dotted our, you know, guy was all over our conversation earlier this week about uh, best offseason move. Yeah. And Wyatt Johnston, ELC, 20-goal season last year for a guy that barely got power play time. Uh, and then Joe Pavelski continuing to give them sweetheart deals at three and a half million. You're you're talking about that's where they make they're making it up. It's extremely productive. It is also very expensive, but their extremes balance each other out. All of their losses are counted by are countered by wins, and that's uh, that's how they have to be successful. If hey, if you're gonna have a bad value contract, you need a great value contract to help it out. Yep. They have that balance, and for me. When you also factor in um, the that Rupe Hans, Jason Robertson are also great value. This is this is the best built forward core in the Central Division. They just can't keep getting away with this. How are they getting <laughs> all of these players to agree to such friendly contracts from Robertson to Duchesne? And I get each one has explanations as to why. Like Duchesne, it's just for the foreseeable yeah. future for a reason. Mm-hmm. But that's the best explanation for it is they are good negotiators and got tremendous value from some excellent players in there that really makes it competitive. And they're paying for it in ways too, though you look at the overall cost that's being spent there. It's significantly more than, than the avalanche are paying like in theirs too. 55 million on their entire forward core. I'm pretty sure it is. Well, yes, yeah, so that's so. why I was looking at the breakdown on defense and forwards, how much they're paying. And it's something like 66% is tied up in the forward group. Yeah. And that is not quite the same split for the Avs because I was very curious. Um, it, it's comparable. I'm sure it's comparable for most teams, but it is definitely one distinction is that they are spending quite a bit more money on their forwards. Yeah. It's it's also notable. The Avs now have the highest paid player in the league and they are spending $8 million less yep. than Dallas on their forward core. And that's even with sweetheart deals from Robertson and Pavelski, and yep. then obviously an ELC in Wyatt Johnston. But that, I, I mean, it's it's a great point from Megan that that's so expensive. That's, <laughs> that's a why, lot of money on your forward core, but they're getting like, what they need out of it. Throw a plus completely. Sure. But it is one of the 
best and most competitive, it's they are just paying yeah, for it, it as well. It turns out sometimes good lineups are expensive, but it, when you talk about a lineup that is expensive like that, there's no room for lack of success. It has to produce night in and night out. Their entire forward core has to be what's winning them hockey games. Not that they Haskinen and Lindell are good players, and I don't want to take away from their defense at all, but it's not yeah. like Colorado where their defense can just go out and win them a hockey game by themselves. It's going to be on that forward core to carry that team. Well, and yep. looking at the goaltending situation, I still am a believer in Anger. For sure. But they also have good value in their, their goalies, the amount of money that they're spending, and they have that value for Anger through two more seasons. So them spending this money on the forwards makes sense because they're in this competitive window. They have a great goaltender locked up for a few more seasons now. They can put that money there. They can justify it. Yep. Megan, I'm, I'm curious. This isn't really related to our conversation, but um, I am curious. Would you rather spend $5 million, as Dallas is doing, on Jake Ottinger and Scott Wedgwood, or would you rather spend $5.4 million on Alexander Georgiev and Pavel Francouz? Georgiev and Francouz. For the next two seasons, um, because Francouz and Wedgwood are both free agents, but the starters are both locked up at their current deals for the next two years. Yep. So not not looking at the next 10 years, just in the next two years, which you, you would prefer Colorado's? I would for the experience standpoint uh, with Georgiev. I think that he mentally handles the pressure a little bit better. And I say that cautiously. Andre's just such a young goaltender. That is where I think Georgiev has a slight edge. And then with what we know Francois can bring to the table, he could sweep a Western Conference final in a pinch. And that is the kind of reliability that... I would want in a goaltender. It's close to being a starter himself in Francois, and that is hard to come by. Yep. I think I, I think I would also take Colorado's. Um, yep. Certainly for the next two years. If, if it was, if that's more like seven years, I would probably prefer Ottinger. But um, for right now, it, I mean, Georgiev was just so unflappable last year. Just the volatility of young goaltenders—you just never know. Yeah. It's it's hard to. Even someone well, like we saw it. Yeah. I mean, He's compare the it. conversation the uh, of, of how we talk about Jake Ottinger today versus the way that we did a year ago yep. when he was coming off of the historic playoff series against Calgary that they lost. We were talking about him. Oh, my God, Jake Ottinger. What if that continues? This guy's amazing. And then he had like a solid year. He's still pretty good. But he, yeah. he didn't have the yeah. kind of like – he, you know, he didn't unhinge his jaw and swallow the hockey world whole like some people talked about happening. Yeah. You know, it was it was like a solid season, but because he already had that name ID, people people will be like, oh, but Jake Ottinger. But was his year better than Alexander Georgiev's? I don't I don't know that it was. I I think they yeah. were pretty similar seasons. Yep, agree. And I think Georgiev was certainly the better postseason goaltender. Uh, the most forgettable team in the division. I forgot to do them earlier in St. Louis. <laughs> Great. We looked at it. We can yeah, move on. I, it exists. I, I mean, cool. Is Kevin Hayes really the solution to losing Ryan O'Reilly? I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I, 
I forget which other team I said this for, but this this middle six really is Braden Shen and a bunch of dudes. Ah, yes, like the wild. Uh, yeah, this is Jake Neighbors needs to do something and take the Oscar Sunquist job. <laughs> um, like the rest of these guys, these are all like good players, right? Like I, I, eh, well, I'm not. I don't want to say that for Casper Kapanen. I actually think he sucks. Um, and <laughs> v- Verona, Verona could be good. He's got he's had so many problems, but when he's been healthy, he's been a really effective goal scorer. Um, just how good is the red? Like Braden Shen is solid. Brandon Sod is solid. Kevin Hayes is solid. I think this is a fine group. But as we're looking at, it's a fine group, but also an expensive one. And yeah. when you're a team that has a bad defense, you need to make up for that somewhere. Dallas is spending a lot of money on that group that we looked at, but they were they got a ton out of it. St. Louis is spending a pretty penny on this group, and they're getting fine production. But they don't really have good value anywhere else on their roster. Their most expensive players are both were both letdowns last year in Kairou and Thomas. Uh, Pablo Buchnevich is a very like valuable guy on a on a, a good contract, but he can't stay healthy. There isn't one single guy in their defense right now that you would you would say is is actually good value. And their goaltending, they spent six million dollars on Jordan Bennington to make a fool of himself all year. So you you you. This is the heart of the roster. This is the meat and potatoes of it, and it's maybe the best value that they're getting right now, and it's just okay. It's just okay. There's a reason this team has has put themselves into a, a totally forgettable place. Yep. I had St. Louis as one of my least favorite teams of the offseason because of their inability to do very much, and I recognize that Kevin Hayes is a new addition to the group moving forward. But this is a player that affects the middle six. Like that just doesn't really move the needle for me in how I view St. Louis and how they stack up against their competition. And I also share Najee's opinion. I don't think Kapanen is a three million dollar player. And I I think that's just a lot of money, generally speaking, to invest in your middle six for what you're getting. And especially Where's the value you- there. Especially when you're lacking upside. I like Vrana, though. I do think that's a gamble on a player that could have upside. Sure. And, and, and that's a tough spot to be in where you're gambling on a guy who has a career of not being healthy, which, guess what? We're going to talk about that with the abs some, too, in a second here. Ryan Johansson, yeah. step on up. <laughs> but it, and, and you look at that and you just wonder where the St. Louis blues are going to find success because it's not just, Hey, they're kind of overpaying their middle six. It's, Hey, they're kind of overpaying everybody. Not really a recipe for success. But it's a good thing. Bennington's great under pressure. at least. He's <laughs> <laughs> great at something. Uh, okay. Last up, we have the Avs roster, which look, the Logan O'Connor spot is a little bit of a placeholder here. That's that's kind of the six forward spot on that third line that may well end up getting filled this offseason by a PTO or by Kovalenko down the line if that's what you want to slot in there. So understand there's a little bit of just filling the holes going on here. But for the most part, this is what you can expect it to look like. It's about middle of the road on money spending. The point total you see on the graphic is on the low side. And I think that's the reality of most of this conversation is the abs are looking at 
four guys that they've brought in this year to take steps forward in Colorado. Yeah, even if Miles Wood does exactly what uh, he did last season, it's it's like fair value. It's not it's not a good or bad deal. It's fine. Logan O'Connor continues to be positive value, but then and we expect Ross Colton to take some kind of step forward. If that's forty points, then it's again it's right there where you want it in terms of fair value. But those three guys, Duran, Johansson, and Nichushkin. Those are all guys that you look at and you say, games played, games played, games played with all of them. Because Val Nachushkin was on his way to a monster of a season yeah. uh, if he had the if he had stayed healthy. The last time Ryan, the only time Ryan Johansson uh, was was healthy the last couple of years, he had a 60-point year. And Jonathan Duran's per game point production has, has been fine. At 825, it really won't be hard for him to to be great great value by the end of the year that could end up being one of the most cost efficient contracts in the entire nhl but the abs are in that position of they just need they need a bunch of guys to stay help number one stay healthy Uh, after that i mean just (laughs) Continue to be who they are. To be honest, uh, you're not even asking for major steps forward outside of any outside of Ross Colton. All the other guys, it's it's just stay healthy. If they continue to to produce at the point per game clips, this will be one of the most cost efficient middle sixes in the league. So well, let me ask you this, Megan: Which of these players is it most important to be successful in Colorado? It's but be- I know you said to pick one. You can pick but two. But to That's me, it's fine. between Johansson and Colton. One of them needs to pan out and in a big way. Yeah. And I feel like they can actually afford for Johansson to maybe be the one that doesn't pan out if Ross Colton is the one that exceeds expectation. And that's sort of where I'm at with it. Just in the term that they granted Colton, I think that there has to be Four a lot of belief for sure yeah. for him to be the one to exceed expectation. Miles Wood to meet it and hopefully yep. exceed it too, at least in some of the things we've talked about, like with discipline. Sure. If he can live up to those things, that's great. It's just, it's interesting to you. Chat's bringing up that there are some interchangeable players and, that probably, yeah. and that's a fair point because the conversation does change a lot if there's a Lacken in there instead, or if there's a Rantanen at points in there, because this was true of the boost in production for JT Comfer when met with the right opportunity. And that's why in looking at the projected points kind of is what that right column is. It's not really a great number for the abs because so many of these guys are coming in newly and we know that there's an effect on players in Colorado, a boost in production that inevitably happens that you can count on for some of these players and seeing drew in come in at 825 K with a close to 30 point season as it is, is great value that I think is only, higher in Colorado because of the opportunity that he's going to get here. So to answer your question though, specifically, I'm looking to Ross Colton to be the guy that needs to exceed expectations. I, I, I think it's an interesting conversation. As you mentioned, you know, chat kind of saying, Hey, Rantan probably should play on the second line. I agree. Mechanically, he's probably going to play with those guys, but. I'm not calling a dude who has 105 points a second liner. I'm sorry. He's a first line yeah, a guy player. that a, 
a guy that you know, a guy coming off a 55 goal season, and you know is going to be one of the three highest uh, minutes getters in, in Colorado team. this yeah. year. You're not you're not trying to confuse this. This is why I I had this caveat before we even started. Of yeah, you could move one of those guys around, but you're not looking at Miko Rantanen as a freaking middle six player. But, and even if you did, he's cost efficient. He had a hundred points, making nine million dollars. Easy math. And like, great. If Jonathan Drew is playing well enough to stick on the first line, and he puts up a fifty to sixty point season, awesome. The A plus scenario, whichever one of them you want to call this middle six guy, you're winning either way. Right. And the value is then distributed differently. Like then you've got someone on the top line that's a, of tremendous value if it is Drew in that's putting up 60 yeah. points for $825,000. Yep. <laughs> it's so funny to talk about a guy like, hey, this guy could have 60 points this year and make 825K. <laughs> you know, that and it's small like small amount of money. <laughs> yeah, right. Just, just your average Joe cash flow, you know, 825k. <laughs> I can produce not 60 points in the NHL for that amount of money. I'm available. I think that's actually been Pierre Edward Belmar's entire pitch <laughs> every off season. <laughs> I can't do that, but I can play. <laughs> yeah, I'll be in the lineup. Like that was Nate Thompson's whole thing too. He was like, "Look, I'll just." I'll be, I'll be there. Just give me league minimum every year and trade me at the deadline. We're golden, baby. <laughs> it, it it is an interesting spot because it, the the mixing up goes even beyond Rantanen and Drew and specifically. We've seen Nachushkin play on the top line plenty and be effective at doing that. Uh, the Avs are more than happy to double shift McKinnon all over the place when they need to there will be a lot of fluidity, not just to the ass, but to all of these lineups. This is just generalizing middle sixes and looking at value of, of forward rosters. And the abs have potential to get great value out of their middle six, but they need guys to take steps forward. I, you've emphasized Colton in that case. And I, I, I think we've been a little bit dismissive of Johansson because we all kind of see a world where, Hey, this might be the guy that we have the least hope for there being another level on. But if he can stay healthy, if he can put up, not even take another step, but a 50 plus point season, all of a sudden you have that much more coming out of your middle six in Colorado. And that stuff starts to add up very, very quickly. It's just you can't give them the credit for something they haven't done yet. Can we try to rank them really quickly? Sure. And just see kind of where we feel they all stack up next to each other. We looked at we looked at the money, but let's try to uh, we we can keep point production and expectations and whatever all the things that we've talked about in this show. Uh, we'll cut Vegas and Tampa Bay out of it since we talked about them already, but. Just in the central division. Let's see what we've got. So Chicago bottom for sure. Uh, or Nashville. I, I mean, uh, Nashville, Chicago. Sure. I, I, Chicago. Probably I, I think those two are the clear cut worst. Yeah. I, I, yeah, what the order fine. of those two is, you know, whatever. So yeah, Chicago, Chicago, Chicago at the bottom, then Nashville. Uh, 
Hmm. Probably St. Louis next. Uh, eh, maybe Minnesota. I don't know. I might like Minnesota yeah. more than St. Louis. I St. Louis has the 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 glitz and glamour of upside with sure. a guy like Verona or I'm, I guess Kapanen. The Minnesota doesn't. There's no I, guy there that you're true. talking about having a breakout. I guess I'm not really a believer in St. Louis's upside, but at least there's some there. The Wilds is very established as what it is and possibly is is, moving yeah. the wrong direction with age. Yeah. Yeah, reliant on Marco Rossi breaking in and and being an impact guy uh, to make that middle six better. So, um, I would I would uh, I would put Minnesota's there and then and then St. Louis, but that's just me. Good with that. Are you going to make an argument for Minnesota ahead? I think they're getting more value. Okay. And I I think that okay. St. Louis actually is trending the wrong direction in age more. So I think they are more aged than Minnesota comparatively. Kind of not wrong about that. But you know what? I actually don't feel that strongly about it. And I've been raked over the coals by Minnesota fans too many times. So I'm going, I'm fine with St. Louis ahead of them. I do think, I do think it is a really good point to say it's a more cost efficient group for Minnesota because that, that even includes Zuccarello at 6 million. Yeah. Otherwise the most expensive guy there uh, is Marcus Foligno. And so they are getting way better value out of that group than what St. Louis is. At least dollar to dollar yeah because so then defensively cool. like i know we're only ranking the middle six <laughs> but like then defensively this allowed them to have a better defense in minnesota than in st louis yep she's talked me into it st louis is next <laughs> st louis st louis and then and then and well and then i would i and then minnesota and then i would go arizona yeah, yeah. it's hard to rank arizona on the same list right because arizona's is almost all upside Projection. where you're like yeah yeah but it's good i agree i i'm more than comfortable with arizona ahead of those four i i don't have a problem with yeah. it but I, I think it's pretty squarely in this spot and then you have the top three well and then i would go i would go winnipeg and then colorado yeah i i think i would give colorado the edge as well over winnipeg uh, and then I, I think Dallas, Dallas is pretty clear one. cut the top. Yeah. Easy, easy. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Just the, the Matt Duchesne deal for me, the Wyatt Johnston, exi his existence uh, really helps buoy any, any downfall by either one of Jamie Ben or Joe Pavelski. If they both have it, Dallas is in serious trouble, but I think those guys, uh, I, I think they're pretty good. I think that Dallas has built a really, really good hockey team. Yeah. It's in uh, arguably their top nine, ten. I, I don't believe in Guryanov at all, but their top nine, ten, eleven forwards are their strongest part of their lineup. So it'll be interesting. Um, I, I do think, depending on how the first couple months of the season go, we might not be that far away from talking about Colorado as just as good or better than Dallas's middle six if things go well. If things go poorly, we might yeah. be a lot closer to talking to them at the level of Minnesota. So, Well, and we get to get excited about other areas the ass have gotten it right. It's true. Hopefully this is a season where Kel McCarr can 
be leaned on a little less extremely as he was last year and be the Kale McCarr that we know and love, that we still loved last season. He just had to deal with some injuries and was demanded a lot. Why have a middle six when you have a top six when, on D? Yeah, yeah. When you have a Kale McCarr <laughs> and a Devontae's. <laughs> It's funny because we're ranking Dallas as like the clear cut number one here. But if you look at, if you look at, okay, well, who has the best top line? It's Colorado. Who has the best defense? It's Colorado. Who has the best goaltending? We just all agreed. Georgiev and Ottinger were right on the same level uh, this past season. So it's like, look, Dallas wins this one. But when you start to look at the rest of the roster. That's why I'm willing to take that. Yep, exactly. Yeah. This is all good. We can give them we can give them the dub for today, but they also need I mean, you have a 30 34 year old Evgeny Dadnov, 32 year old Matt Duchesne, yep. uh 34 year old Jamie Benn, and 39 year old Joe Pavelski. <laughs> like if they continue to defy aging curves, they will stay on the top of this list. If they don't, they are in for a hard crash. Well, and uh, you see 32 years old. Okay, whatever. You're on the gauging curve. You start getting up there 34, 35, and especially Joe Pavelski at 39. It stops being an aging curve and it starts being more an aging brick wall where you yeah. go from being a really good NHL player to not one at all. Yeah, definitely. And and honestly, even a guy like uh, Evgeny Dadanov, he is at 34 years old. He's been teetering on... Yeah. How effective is this guy really? So, um, you know, uh, yeah, injuries are key every year for everyone. Like, obviously, this is true. If if Dallas has Colorado's injury luck from last season, Dallas is going to plummet. Yeah. They will not. They will not be in contention they, for the division. Like, they could genuinely finish, uh, maybe not worse than Chicago, but at the very bottom of the Central if they have Colorado's injury luck. Yeah, if they if they go through what the Avs did last season, uh, the doubt like there's a reason that what Dallas or what Colorado and Vegas did last year was extremely rare. Uh, it's it's virtually impossible to win your division uh, with that kind of injury, uh, with that with those types of injuries. Um, so you know we'll we'll see how it goes for this season. I you have to plan for injury on some level, but I don't think you can just willy-nilly be like they're gonna lose 400 man games again this year you know if they do i'll be very sad well if like it's like if you're trying to plan for that you're not going to be able to build a very good team because you're never gonna you're not gonna spend two and a half million dollars on miles wood you're gonna spend that money on three minimum contract guys because you're so worried about that baseline level that in a perfect world those dudes never play what yeah totally and you know, maybe the Avs, maybe the Avs tried to steal Dallas's injury luck by importing so many guys from the stars. <laughs> from the star, Texas stars. <laughs> yeah, because what is it? Three of them with Tanner Caro, uh, Riley Tufty, and Frederick Olsson. Frederick Olsson, yeah. What? I don't Gotta know. Teaching their uh... daily routines to stay healthy. <laughs> right, uh... right. Like, all right, what what happened in the trainer's room down there to make this such a <laughs> right such a thing? <laughs> well, they hired a new head athletic trainer for Eagles, so I don't know. There you go. I don't want to reinforce the, the belief that that had not, any not reality, bearing on yeah. it. Definitely, you're 
your trainers can prevent random concussions from happening. Right. No, no, no. That, that's that's why Gabe Landeskog's knee has an issue. It was the yep. Eagles trainer last year. It was the Eagles trainer. Over it. <laughs> Wasn't Kale McCarr's skate in a freak accident at all. Uh, Against Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like Can't make it up. If they Get take out of here. Dallas's depth, they won't have any. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Problem solved. Uh, okay. Longest show of the offseason, probably. I mean, other than the like live ones for free agency and stuff, but look, that's just how you do it on August 16th. I guess. Come at us, other podcasts. Yeah. We out here. Uh we are going to get out of here for the day, though, and we are brought to you by Breckenridge Brewery, the official <laughs> beer uh, of DNVR. You can get it on tap down here at the bar. I've heard it's a great cure for for injuries in season. The <laughs> trainers recommend it for sure. Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, go get yours today at your local liquor store. Use the Breck Beer Locator online at breckbrew.com. Join us Friday if you're local. Come down to the bar 6 p.m. for our live show. We'd love to see you out here. That's all I got. Uh, Megan and I are back tomorrow. There you go. There's the Friday night thing that Megan and I will be at. We hope to see you there. We hope to see you in the chat tomorrow, and uh, we'll talk to you later, I guess.